Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, I want to introduce a subject, and this is literally, this is introduction only. And then in the weeks that are following, I want to, I want to get into the, the subject itself. But I, I want to start today with a question. And I want you in your mind only to answer this question. But what is Christianity? What is it? Let me just say, first of all, for a variety of reasons, Christianity is not a religion. First of all, because religion is man reaching out to God. Man says, I'm going to sacrifice this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to do this. And it's man trying to reach out and touch God. Where Christianity is not initiated by man, it's initiated by God. And it's God reaching to man. The Bible says God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself. But then secondly, religion is really, it's a compartmentalized thing in people's life. They think, you know, I've got my work life. I've got my family life. I've got my entertainment life. I've got my sex life. And then I've got my church life my religious life. And that deals with Sundays and funerals and baptisms and maybe marriage or something. But we compartmentalize our life. Now, by the way, Jesus will not and does not accept that. With Jesus, it's all of your life or none of your life. In fact, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's saying in comparison to the way that we love God, he said, we need to hate everything else. Everything else needs to be secondary to what we, to, to our relationship with God. Right? Uh, somebody said it this way, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Second thing, Christianity is not, right? Again, it's not a religion, but then it's not a philosophy. Because some people, that's what they consider Christianity to be. Now, you should have, if you're a Christian, you should have a philosophy or a worldview that is based on Christianity. But Christianity is not a philosophy. Right? Because really, philosophy is limited to the realm of ideas, Right? and thoughts. But Christianity is not limited to the realm of ideas and thoughts. You were, listen, you were saved by acts. Jesus went to a cross and they put real holes in his hands and in his feet. He was pierced with a real sword. He was buried in a real tomb and he arose from the dead and came out with a real body. Right? You were saved by acts. It is not just ideas, right? but you, you were saved by things that were happening. In fact, the first sermon is preached in Acts chapter 2. And after Peter preaches, this is what they, the people say. They said to Peter, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Not just think, but what shall we do? So Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a religion, and I probably should have preached this six months ago, but it is not a political party. All right? Now, 
Jesus did say to be salt and light. And your Christian worldview should influence the political system, right? And, and here's what I think is interesting. Christianity has the same goal as a political party. And that is to change the world. Right? When Paul was out preaching, this is what they shout. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. See, what Christianity is supposed to do is turn the world upside down. In fact, it's unbelievers that are shouting. And the truth is it's going to turn the world right side up. Because how many realize this world's already upside down? It's already a mess. So we are not called to change the world through a political process, but through the gospel. Again, Christianity should influence us politically, but it is, we are not called to change the world through a political process. Every time the church forget, forgets this, it's a disaster. Uh, just look back at the Crusades. Fourthly, Christianity is not a success program. I've noticed this, that particularly in in the the, the last couple of decades, uh, some people seem to think that what Christianity is about is about your having success in life. Now, granted, Christianity will bring some success, right? But that is not the purpose of Christianity, is not your success, Right. Now, as Americans, we, we tend to consumerize everything. And, and there are people that have literally made Christianity a self-improvement project. And they're trying to sell it. Right. But what Christianity does is it changes who you are and who you belong to and what you live for. That's what Christianity is supposed to do. So what is Christianity? If it's not a success program and it's not a religion and it's not a philosophy... What is Christianity? There's only one answer. Every other answer is insufficient. And Christianity is a kingdom. Now, here's what most people think that Christianity is. Christianity is a way for me to be forgiven and go to heaven. That is not what Christianity is. Will that happen? Yes. But that is not what Christianity is. And that is not even the goal of Christianity. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray your kingdom come. We think it's about going someplace. But what Jesus taught is that Christianity is about something coming, not about your leaving and going someplace. Your kingdom come, your will be on where? As it is in That is really the best definition of what the kingdom of God is. It's God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And remember, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God. Most people are seeking first a lot of other things. And when they think about Christianity, they just think I'm forgiven and going someplace. But what Jesus is telling us is that the kingdom is not just when you die. The kingdom is now. It's now. And it's not just you die and go to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth now. Right? Every other view of Christianity is insufficient. When Jesus came, this is what he preached. Mark's gospel, first chapter, 
The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The message Bible, I think, is a little clearer. Time's up. God's kingdom's here. Change your life and believe the message. Because the kingdom's here, you change your life. One translation says it this way. Change the way you think. Change the way you think. Now, listen, all the prophets prophesied about the kingdom coming. Right? When Jesus is about to be born, in fact, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And this is what the angel said. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Right? Now, what that's telling us is this. God's view is way beyond this life. God's view is beyond 10,000 years from now and beyond 100,000 years from now because the kingdom is forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Matthew chapter four, Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River. He comes back from the desert. Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not a religion, a philosophy, a morality. It's a kingdom. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. In fact, everything Jesus ever did was about the kingdom. He taught for three and a half years, his disciples, how do you live in the kingdom? In Luke 22, verse 29, he says, I bestow upon you a kingdom. What did Jesus leave us? I want everybody to say it. Jesus left me a, a kingdom. Remember, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus left us a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. So Jesus gave to us a kingdom. When Jesus arose from the dead, he's with his disciples for 40 days. Acts chapter one says, so uh, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. As far as what did they preach? Look in Acts chapter eight. Philip goes down to the city of Samaria. He's preaching Christ to them. And it says that they gave heed as he spoke to them about the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God. What did they preach? They preached the kingdom. Not someday you're going to go away to heaven. But they preach the kingdom of God, which is now. Now, it's forever, but it doesn't start when you die. It's going on right now. John chapter 3, Jesus answered, talking to Nicodemus. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, if you're, if you're, if you're looking at Christianity from the outside, it looks like a religion. It looks like good moral teaching. It looks like philosophy. It looks like a bunch of ideas, right? But Jesus said, you get on the inside and you look, it's different. Because once you're on the inside and you're born again, you should be able to recognize Christianity is not just about ideas. It's not about philosophy or morality. Christianity is about a kingdom. And it is an eternal kingdom. Right? Now, here is the mystery of the kingdom, or I should say one of the mysteries of the kingdom. 
One of the mysteries of the kingdom is this, that the kingdom is here, but the kingdom's coming. Right? It's here right now. Jesus said, don't look over here, over there, because the kingdom of God is within you. Right? But so it's here, but it's just not here. It is coming. Your kingdom come. So it's here, but it's coming. Jesus said, they're going to say, see here, see there. He says, don't listen to that because the kingdom of God is within you. And by the way, it is to be experienced in the community of the church. And I am so glad for everybody that's online, but don't just be online. You need to get involved in the community of the church, right? Now, when the king returns, every single New Testament author talks about the king returning, right? Everyone. Even if they just wrote one chapter, they talk about coming back, his coming back. Now, when he returns, Jesus will do something that is not happening right now. And he will enforce the kingdom. He will enforce it. Now, this is not the picture that most Christians have of Jesus' return, but it is the biblical picture. Now, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah, but they were waiting for a conquering king. And they missed the fact that Messiah would come twice. That first he would come as a humble servant and redeem them. And then he would come back later as a conquering king. But he is coming. And the next time he comes, it will not look like the first time that he came. Right? Psalms 110, verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand, and he will execute kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations and he will fill the place with dead bodies and he will execute the heads of many nations. He's coming back, but he's not coming back to redeem in a suffering way. He's coming back as king of kings, Lord of lords. And the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron. And those that are part of the kingdom, the Bible says will rule and reign with him. Right. So I would not want to be a head. I wouldn't want to be a politician who's making a bunch of unrighteous laws. Because when he comes back, he will right every wrong. He will right every wrong. And the Bible literally says he will execute the heads of many nations. He will fill the place with dead bodies. Now, listen, right now, Theologians refer to this as the time of grace. This is the time where men and women can voluntarily become a part of the kingdom. Now, Romans 10 and verse 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord or your King, not that, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, Colossians 1.13 tells us what happens. It says instantly you are translated out of the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, and you are translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. Literally, to be saved is to change kingdoms. To be saved is to change lords. That's what salvation is. Now, by the way, 2 Corinthians 5 says this. We are ambassadors for Christ. And this is the way we need to think about ourselves. Every person here, if you're a believer, if Jesus is your Lord, your king, 
You are an ambassador. You're an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, you're to be salt and you're to be light every place that you go. You represent the kingdom. I, I, I love what T.L. Osborne said. Now, those of you who don't know T.L., uh, in the 20th century, is the one person who preached to more people face-to-face than Billy Graham. He preached to more people face-to-face than any person that has ever lived. Now, he said, when I arrive, he says, the kingdom arrives. He says, I go to a country. When I get there, I realize when I get there, I represent the kingdom. I'm an ambassador for the kingdom of God. But when you go to work, you're an ambassador for the kingdom. In your neighborhood, you're an ambassador for the kingdom. Wherever you're at, you are to see yourself as an ambassador. Jesus is talking in Luke chapter four. He says to proclaim the accepted and the acceptable year of the Lord, the day when the salvation and free favors of God profusely abound. This is the time when anyone can become a part of the kingdom. But the day will come when it will be enforced. The day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at Philippians 2.10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ, he's Lord, he's king to the glory of God, the father. He's coming. He's coming as king. So salvation changes your Lord and salvation changes our kingdom. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives seven parables. The sower, the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, the the, the hidden treasure, the leaven, the pearl of great price, the dragnet. And every one of them, he begins like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, not Christianity is like a kingdom. He says, but this is what the kingdom is like. And he gives seven different parables or stories to help us understand what the kingdom is like. Now, the the, the granddad of these parables is the parable of the sower. In fact, Jesus said, if you do not understand this parable, you won't understand any of the parables. So what he's saying is this. If you don't understand the parable of the sower, you will not understand the kingdom. So in that parable... Jesus said that the sower goes out and he sows the seed. And by the way, he says that the seed, it is the gospel of the kingdom. That's what that's according to Jesus. That's the seed, the gospel of the kingdom. He says some falls on a pathway. Some falls on stony ground. By the way, on the pathway, it produces nothing. On the stony ground, it produces nothing. And he says some falls on the thorns. He says it gets choked. And it produces nothing. He says, and some falls on good soil and produces 160 or 30 fold. And then he takes his disciples aside and he explains this parable. Now, Matthew 13, Mark 4, where this this parable is is found in, in most detail. So let me just break this down a minute. Verse 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who's sown by the wayside. So what's sown is the word about the kingdom. All right. 
Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world and then the end will come. So Jesus gives them this understanding that the world itself is under the control of the enemy. And it is his kingdom is motivated by greed, by lust, and by pride. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the Bible calls Satan the God with a small g of this world. 1 John 5, 19, we know positively that we are of God and the whole world around us is under the power of the evil one. How many of you have heard people say something like this? Well, if, the, if God's in charge of everything, man, it sure is a mess. Well, listen, the devil is the God of this world. And the Bible says the whole world is under the power of the evil one. The reason there's war and prejudice and sickness and disease is because the world is under the power of the evil one. But you have been translated, but we're going to get into that in the weeks to come. You've been translated out from under his dominion, out from under his domain. And you're a part of the kingdom of the son of his love. All right. So Jesus saves those who through faith receive him as their Lord and their King, and they enter his kingdom. So often, again, all we're doing is thinking about eternity. And eternity is real. It's real. But what God is trying to do in your life is not just get you to heaven. He's trying to get heaven to you right now. When Peter preaches the first sermon in the book of Acts, this is how he ends it up. Be saved from this perverse generation. He didn't say be saved from hell. How many know that's what we always think about? We're going to get saved from hell. You are. It's true. But that wasn't their focus. Their focus was being saved from this perverse generation. How many of you know we are living in a perverse world? The Bible says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. You see, and when you become a part of the kingdom, we're supposed to be different from this world, right? We are part of a different kingdom, right? So we enter by faith, by receiving Jesus as our Lord and our King. So the people who hear that are on the, the, the seed on the path, they, 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 the, the, the seed is sown, but they don't understand it and they reject it. Satan, Jesus said, Satan comes and steals the word of the kingdom out of their hearts. Right? So they miss, without realizing it, they miss an opportunity to be a part of the greatest treasure that they could ever, ever have in this life. Right? Now, because you're here today, I'm assuming that you're probably not one of the people that are the seed on the path. Now, Jesus said, if you're not one of those people, there are three possible scenarios for you. He said, first of all, he said, you can get offended and quit. Secondly, he said, you can get seduced back into the world and fall away. And thirdly, Jesus said, you can be good ground and bear fruit 160 and 30 fold. Uh, I've been in full-time ministry next month for 45 years. Never? No. 
In all of those years, not one time has a single person ever come to me and say, Pastor, I'm the one who's getting offended and falling away. Nobody ever says that. All right? Because everybody thinks I'm going to be the one who's going to last. Right? And I want you to be one of those that are going to last. Right? But Jesus said that there are two people who receive that word. Right? And, but something happens and they fall away. Right? They receive it. <laughs> oh, let me just read verse 20. But he who, is, who received the seed on the stony ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. When tribulation or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, this is the one who receives the word. This is the person who says, man, I'm saved. Hallelujah. Heaven, blessing, deliverance, miracles, healing. Woo! Now, excitement's good. But excitement doesn't guarantee you're going to make it long term. Right? They get a fish, put a fish on the back of their car, buy a chain, put a big cross on it. Right? But the Bible says they stumble. They get offended. Right? Persecution comes. They get offended by what somebody do. So enthusiasm is no guarantee. Right? You can get all excited, but if, if you do not, listen, if you are not willing to pay the price. See, when you get right with God, there are things in your life that are going to exit your life. And there's people in your life that are going to exit your life. Right? And if you're not willing to do those things, and if you're not willing to take some ridicule for the kingdom of God, right? here's, here's basically where these people are at. All right? They love Jesus. They'll tell you, I love Jesus. It's just people that bother me. You see, they find out that Jesus decides to populate his kingdom with people. People that let you down, imperfect people, people that hurt you. In fact, you read Jesus' parables and you'll find out there's people in there that really aren't even in there. They're hypocrites, right? But they're there and they act like they belong there, but they really don't belong there. And they're just a whole lot of people. And Jesus said, some people, you're just going to get offended because of what somebody says, somebody does, or somebody doesn't say or doesn't do, right? You see, and these people, these are kind of like, like I said, I, I love Jesus. I just can't stand his church. And that's kind of like saying, hey, I, I like you, but I hate your spouse. How many know that's not going to go ever at anybody's house, especially not Jesus' house? So these are the people, they're kind of like, well, I love Jesus. And you know, Jesus, I love you. We need about six, seven butler angels to get all the stuff that I need. And it's just you and me. How many know that's not the kingdom? The kingdom is not about you and Jesus and a half a dozen butler angels. Okay. The kingdom is about you and Jesus and all the other people in the kingdom. Right? I, I thought it might go over better than that. Right? But, 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 but honestly, there's no promise in the Bible to those that are not a part of the kingdom. Right? So you, you, we need to recognize there's going to be some imperfect people in the kingdom. Right? Now, the 22nd verse. Now, he who receives the word among the thorns is the one who hears the word. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word of God, and he becomes unfruitful. Now, the first one 
falls by offense. Listen, offense often takes place very quickly. Somebody says something, somebody does something, and you just get offended. How many know offense can take place about that fast? But seduction is different. Seduction takes time. Seduction is a process. It is just as deadly as offense. But seduction takes time. Now, what Jesus said here is this. He mentions just three things. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things comes in and chokes the word. Here's kind of the way most Christians think. The word of God, there is nothing as powerful as the word of God. And in a sense, that's true. But according to Jesus, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, and the cares of this world can choke God's word. Is that what Jesus said? He said there are things that can choke the word of God in our life. Because anytime we do not seek first the kingdom and anything else becomes our number one pursuit, we're in, we we don't realize it, but we're being seduced. We're being seduced away. Now, Jesus mentioned desire for other things, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, deceitfulness of wealth, it comes to everybody. And technically, we know it's a lie. But so many people fall for it. The deceitfulness of riches just says, if you had more, you'd be happy. If you had more, you'd be fulfilled. You'd be satisfied. You'd be successful. You would be accepted. You wouldn't hurt. You would be somebody if you just had more. Now, it's a lie. It's a lie. Now, I want to say something here. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Bible says, that God richly gives us all things to enjoy, right? God wants you to be blessed. And at whatever he gives you, he wants you to enjoy, right? But he doesn't want it to be your number one pursuit. When it becomes your number one pursuit, then you have succumbed to the deceitfulness of riches. And Jesus said that will choke the word, but seek first the kingdom of God. When God blesses you, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Don't don't feel bad that God bless you. He wants you to enjoy what he blesses you with, but he doesn't want you to pursue the blessing. He wants you to pursue the blesser. All right. So the fool believes that money can bring happiness and meaning to their life. But the truth is money is just a tool. It's a terrible master a terrible lover, but money will try to seduce and become your number one pursuit. In fact, Jesus said about nothing else, you cannot serve God and mammon or money. You can't serve the two. Again, everything God blesses you with, he wants you to enjoy it, but it cannot become our number one pursuit. But he received the seed and the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60-fold, and some 30-fold. So what is Christianity? It's a kingdom. And that's how we need to think about it. It's not someplace I'm going. It's something that God wants to do now. Your kingdom come. You make your number one pursuit, seek first the kingdom 
of God and his righteousness. The rest of the world, the Bible says, is under the sway, the control of the evil one. So there is, there is a kingdom that's not the kingdom of God. And that's the kingdom of this world. The Bible tells us in Revelations, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. See, it's coming. It's coming. Daniel said the day will come when the kingdom of God will destroy every other kingdom and fill the earth. Fill the earth. So if Jesus tarries, 5, 10, 20, 30 years, my prayer for you is that you will not be offended and you will not be seduced, but you will continue to seek first the kingdom of God. And that's his will being done on earth today in your life, in my life. We're the salt. We're the, we're the light. We're the ambassadors. And as we recognize that we're ambassadors, we're salt, and we're light, we produce a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Now, that was our introduction for a couple of weeks to come. Again, I, I, I was reading a couple of weeks ago in the book of Jeremiah when Jeremiah 8.20 just jumped out at me. It says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The devil, his strategy is procrastination to keep us from putting off what we could do today. We, we, we have that, I am going to get right with God. I'm gonna put these things behind me and I'm gonna serve God. I'm gonna get right with God. But the devil always tells you next month, next year. I've literally had people say, when I'm older, when I'm older and after I've done all these things and sowed my wild oats, well then, then I want to get right with God. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, today, if the Spirit of God is nudging you and he's saying, get right with God, today is your day. He says, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. The Israelites are in Egypt and the plague of frogs comes. And the Bible literally says that there are frogs in their beds. There's frogs in their eating utensils. And the Pharaoh calls Moses and says, I've, I've, I've sinned. Ask the Lord to take the frogs away. And Moses said, you can determine when. When would you like me to pray that the Lord take the frogs away? And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. Now, I really do consider that to be the stupidest verse in the Bible. He's like, I want to sleep with the frogs one more night. I want, I want frogs in my oatmeal in the morning one more time. Like, I would have said, now! Right? And literally what the Spirit of God says is he says, now, today's the day. This is the time to get right with God. This is the time when the Spirit of God is saying, now, repent, turn away. Be saved from this perverse generation. 
be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, if you came with somebody and you can, would you please take hands? I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head. I want you to pray this prayer. Now, if you're away from God or you don't know where you stand with God or you say, I, I want to get right with God. I want to, I, I want today to be the beginning. I don't want another day with the frogs in my life. Today, I'm putting it behind me. Today, I'm taking Jesus as my king. And I'm going to be a part of his kingdom. And that's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Won't you pray this prayer? Everybody, make these words your own. Say this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I receive him as my king. And I thank you for taking me out of the kingdom of darkness and putting me into the kingdom of the son of your love. I'm being saved from this perverse generation. I thank you. I'm a part of your kingdom. My past is gone and I'm yours. Jesus is my king today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.